From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Kaushik, I was online yesterday and I ran across an article that was interesting. Um, Are you familiar with who Tim Bray is? The name sounds familiar, but no, I don't think I do. He um, he was one of the original authors of the XML specification, oh. and then he ended up working at Sun Microsystems, and then he ended up working early on at Google with the Android folks. And I think he works in Amazon now, I forget. And he lives in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. But his uh, website is tbrayby.org. Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting article yesterday, and it says why Google did Android. Did you see this one at all? Oh, wow. No, I just opened it up. Uh, yeah, you were telling me you had something exciting to talk about. I did not know. I didn't even read this. W- what was it about? Like, where, what is... <laughs> it's funny also, if you type tbray.org, it goes ongoing. <laughs> and then if you click it, it goes to his <laughs> blog, which I thought was funny. But yeah, no. so what was this article about? So he was at Sun Microsystems and then Google um, basically had reached out to him mm-hmm. uh, well he was kind of doing some he was playing around with android on the side and he created a, a couple of articles called the android diary um and he was just having fun with it and long story mm-hmm. short google reached out to him and said hey they they read his blog and uh they were interesting uh interested about him and android and so forth and he asked the kind of the million dollar mm-hmm. question and for those that aren't familiar with the history of Android, because um, it's been around a while now, is that Android was not created at Google. Uh, Google acquired Android mm-hmm. in 2005. Right. Yeah. Um, it was built by Andy Rubin and a few other guys from Danger, Web TV, and I think maybe T-Mobile. I forget. There was a few folks. And uh, they Oh, I didn't know that. It was T-Mobile as well. I think it was T-Mobile. One of those, yeah. Uh, but it was a number of folks like that. And... Um, and again, this is, mm-hmm. most people don't know this amazingly, but Android was not developed to be a phone operating system. It was developed to be a camera operating system. Mm. And, uh, of course then, um, they saw some opportunity and went in. So anyway, Tim Bray w- basically asked him, says, well, the question this is right from the blog says, why is Google doing Android? Are you serious or is it just a hobby? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the guy who was interviewing, which was Vic Gundotra, uh, basically <laughs> Yeah, he said the the this is this is right. I'm reading directly quoted off of Tim's blog here, and it says, and this is uh, the reply from Vic, and he said something like, so he's paraphrasing mm-hmm. again. It says the iPhone is really good. The way things are going, Apple's going to have a monopoly on internet capable mobile devices. Shit. That means <laughs> they'll be the gatekeepers for everything, including advertising, saying who can and can't, setting prices, taking a cut. That's an ex- existential threat to Google. Android doesn't have to win to win. It just has to get enough market so there's a diverse and competitive mobile advertising market. Wow. And that was why Google decided to get in with Android. They saw that iPhone was going to be this huge thing and they had no skin in that game whatsoever. Damn, that is... that's in, There's so many interesting angles to this, right? Because, A, yeah. you know... There is like, obviously, this is nice to know firsthand from someone who presumably is like, yeah, telling the truth. Uh, 
But yeah, the fact that Google was also able to like foresee so far in advance, right? Because at that time, they, mm-hmm. I, well, I mean, it does make sense if you think about it though, because you were definitely, like, you remember like the iPhone launch, right? And like at the time, oh, yeah. me too. I, I used to follow it pretty closely, in fact, because I was in the Middle East too, I think, or like I was just moving to the Middle East at the time. And I even remember I ordered, like, you couldn't buy iPhones outside of the U.S. at the yeah. time, right? Because they were only available here. So this was the mm-hmm. early days. I remember I bought, like, an iPhone from the U.S. and had it shipped through, like, some carrier. And then I got it there. And then I had to, like, jailbreak it to be able to use it. Yeah. It was, like, yeah. fun times. But I was so obsessed with the iPhone at the time that, yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny to think about it. Yeah. It's, it's weird because I wasn't at all. Like when iPhone came mm-hmm. out, I was like, okay, Apple's making a phone. Blackberry's already doing this. Like, okay. And at the time, there was no app store. There was only apps that Google, I mean, that I that Apple would push out. And so at that point, I was like, this is like a big deal. Like it's just an Apple version of a phone. Like who cares? Mm. Like Blackberry's been doing this and killing it forever. Like, <laughs> like that wasn't the... It didn't click with me until they started having apps that you could download ah. and then developers. And then like Google came out. Well, I mean, Android was released, uh, you know, because they were playing catch up at, the, at that time. And that's when I saw the true value of it. I'm like, oh, apps. And then when I wrote my first app, I was like, I get it now. And it it took me a while to, to understand it. But it seems like you were, you caught on a lot earlier than I did even. Yeah, so that's interesting. And I think maybe the reason I did was because when you jailbreak things, you almost get a view into what it could be, right? Because I think I imagine yeah. you weren't jailbreaking because that wasn't exactly no. something that was approved of here. <laughs> so back in the Middle East, like that was the only way. And I even remember I had to like meddle and write something. What was it like? It was to do with contacts because you know the the way the contact uh, the contacts app would format phone numbers was very different because mm-hmm. uh, Kuwait at the time where I, I used to live uh, is was zero zero nine six five and it and there's like mm-hmm. these weird codes like because the length of a telephone number is not ten digits everywhere. I think even to this day they no. haven't standardized right. So the iPhone would really weirdly format some of my phone numbers. And and it used to bug, like really bug me because if I stored someone's number without the preceding, you know, uh, plus one or plus nine, six, five at the time, it would just like completely like throw everything out of whack. So I, I remember like really fiddling with it at, in the early days. So I think maybe in my mind, I already thought that that was coming, even though obviously at the time I had no clue as to like, you know, copyright infringement and like this whole walled garden that, it just like didn't even register in my mind. So I thought like this is like, oh, this is like this really powerful computer in my hand that I can write programs on. So it is. But I think this, this, I mean, this little article, it fits on one screen. It's so small that he wrote this and it's, it definitely peels back some layers of what people think like, oh, they wanted to have a phone. But what's the <laughs> real underlying reason that Google wanted it? Because they saw there was going to be advertising opportunity that was going to be missed and they didn't want to miss out on it, which kind of makes you think about all of the products that, that Google puts mm-hmm. out, you know, is if it's, you know, it's Gmail, it's, it's Chrome, it's, you know, of course, Android. I mean, there's so many products out there that they put out and a lot of them are free. Mm-hmm. And what's the underlying thing is to get to the data underneath and to get to the advertising to, to sell that. And there's always some root level of, uh, an, as a user, you kind of need to understand that if that's something that 
is going to bother you on a privacy basis mm-hmm. or not. And that's something I think that you and I have experimented with. And I think in your 2020 post, mm-hmm. you even talked about privacy a bit. Um, and I wanted to see if you wanted to dive into that and how you've kind of, what things you've done to um, kind of make yourself more private and secure online without having to give away the entire world to Google. Absolutely. I mean, that was my big thing, right? I think last year, early last year, and quite honestly, the thing for me that really kicked it off was not even Google. It was Facebook, if I remember, because, uh, yeah. you know, with the whole elections thing. And after that, the amount of data, it's staggering, like the amount of data that they already have. Right. And mm-hmm. the common saying is like nothing in this world is for free. Right. So if you're using a free Gmail account, you're using a free Facebook account, obviously they're getting something from this. You know, they're like businesses. They don't just run out of like social goodwill. Uh, especially companies like Google and Facebook and Apple. So there's clearly something that they are getting in the process. And it really clicked only when I saw how big a problem it could be, like given how like Facebook like and the whole elections thing. That really, it, it's just so funny because like, you know, we live in this little bubble where we tend to think, oh, you know what? This could be used for like, uh, for like, you know, menacing reasons, but it probably won't because like human beings inherently yeah. are good, right? Uh, and the only crazy stuff that happens happens on like the TV and like Black Mirror episodes. It doesn't happen in real life, but we are soon getting there, right? So my whole yeah. thing there was, oh my God, I really need to get some sense of control because if you think, oh, you know what, what's the big deal? And this was like, I'm guilty of using the same reasons too because uh, my whole thing was like, oh, what's the big deal? You know, my data is, I don't do anything like, you know, suspicious or you know, my data is not that valuable. I'm like a nobody. So how does it matter? The funny thing is mm-hmm. that Facebook like elections thing just proved to everyone how every single person matters, right? Because yeah. collectively, people like that's like when you have a democracy and like people's voices are heard, if you influence people's voices by, you know, doing things and collecting data about them so that you can target demographics and, you know, mobilize that demographic, it can be pretty scary. Yeah, and it's, and it depends, and it, and it can go either way. It, de- it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. If you're if you're left or you're right or you're in the middle, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It can be targeted either way. It's not used for one particular. Uh, it's not just targeted one direction. It can be used either way at, at each one of these companies, which is the scary thing. So, you having it's hard to understand. Like, is what you're seeing the truth? Is it not the truth? And so that's a very concerning yeah. thing. And I mean, to be clear, we're not like, you know, again, I feel there's also a tendency sometimes for people to just poo-poo one side, uh, you know, unnecessarily. Yeah. We're not doing that. We obviously are like very deeply invested in like the Android world, which is owned by Google, right? And I I don't know about you, Don, but like, you know, working in Android, some of the best work that I can claim to have done in at least my life has been in the Android development world, right? And I'm yes. extremely grateful for that because I got that opportunity. Me too. I don't want to like just like throw like yeah that whole thing under the bus, but that being said, there are like real implications to this, you know. Yeah, and I think it's uh, we're not we're not definitely not throwing Android under the bus. It's just saying that you, you have to understand the root cause of why certain things exist. And you know, mm-hmm. if if something is free um, and you're not paying for a product, then you are the product, and and that's just something that that I know you and I have kind of internalized already. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like if you if you understand the implications of that, then so be it. Um, Android has been fantastic to to you and I, and I still think it's a great operating system for a mm-hmm. phone. And it, I mean, it's enabled many countries and and cultures to be connected now that were that were not connected. And I think it's just going to get get better and better. It's just you have to understand 
what tool you're using and, and what they're for. And I mean, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing I'd like to dive mm-hmm. into. You know, for example, myself, uh, I know I have not had Facebook installed on my phone since 2011. Oh, like, wow. I do have a Facebook mm-hmm. account, um, but I only access it via a desktop browser or a mobile browser. I don't have the app installed mm-hmm. at all. Now, yes, I do have Messenger installed and I do have um, Instagram installed and I know that they're owned and WhatsApp, they're owned by the same company. Mm-hmm. So I get it, you know, if they're going to snoop, they're going to snoop. But um, that's just something I've chose because it, for some reason I felt that the Facebook app seemed to really slow down Android for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Um, so that was one thing I did. And then I've also recently, probably in the last six to eight months been using DuckDuckGo as my primary oh, browser yeah. and I think that's something that you use mm-hmm. as well. I Yeah, I do as well. I've I've been trying to use different, ironically, this post that you brought up points out exactly why I'm starting to not use Google services, right? Because it's very mm-hmm. clear that Google is like, is dominating, you know, for better or worse, a lot of these industries. Uh, yeah. Uh, and obviously, like, you know, Google search it still is like so much more superior to DuckDuckGo. I, I yeah, love DuckDuckGo and I use it a lot. But I'll be honest, you know, uh, sometimes when I'm like searching for programming questions or like, you know, I'm doing Stack Overflow searching, it is just not as good as Google. Like Google is insanely good at surfacing the right results there. Uh, so I still mm-hmm. like occasionally use Google for my searching, but by and large, I primarily use uh, DuckDuckGo. Yeah, exactly. And I use, uh, don't you use like some custom scripts or something like that to fire off if you want to change it over to search Google or oh, something? Yeah, I, I don't have custom scripts. I mean, I think that's built into DuckDuckGo where oh. if you search for a term and then you add the suffix or the prefix G exclamation mark, they call it their duck, duck, bang syntax. So if you, yeah, if you just search for something and then, you know, you suffix it with a G exclamation point, then what happens is it automatically... Uh, opens up Google and searches the same thing in Google, but uses like, I think a privacy safe mechanism where it doesn't like send like any cookies or like, you know, or it tries to do something like that. Uh, I don't know the specifics, but that's basically, so you can technically also just, yeah, search via DuckDuckGo and like hit Google. And they have like this syntax that they, you can do for multiple things. Like YouTube, I think they have, uh, yeah, I think they have YT maybe. Uh, I, my scripts, like, yeah, I have, uh, on my launcher, I have certain scripts that just makes it makes it easy for me. So, uh, I as people know, I watch a lot of movies. So I have like RT for Rotten Tomatoes. So I just prefix it with RT space and then search for the movie, and then it automatically searches like DuckDuckGo directly searches the site that you want to do and presents the result. Interesting, interesting. So that's like with the search engine land. The other one was uh, Chrome. Like Google Chrome also really scared me. And that was like last year because... Oh, yeah? Yeah, because there was this post. And again, I don't remember the specifics, but we'll try to make sure we throw in like, you know, the link in the show notes. But there was this post where someone said that Google Chrome, not the Chromium browser, like they're trying to prevent ad blockers or something, right? Or I I don't necessarily know if that actually eventually happened, but there was clearly an attempt. This wasn't like fiction because eventually I was like, well, are people just like, is this just like, you know, some tinfoil hat folks at Hacker News trying to like stir up a storm? It wasn't the case though. It is like, I looked into it, I think, and I remember like having that link. I'll try to make sure I put in the show notes. But very clearly there was... An attempt, right? Like one way or the other, mm-hmm. it's it is in Google's 
it is in Google Chrome's interest to make sure that advertising is served and that data is fed back, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's the exact same application. Like forget like the forget Android and you know uh, iPhone. Google Chrome came in at a time to compete in browsing, right? And that was like even more direct. If you use Google Search, then it obviously made sense that you would want to like also control the browser, right? And yeah. To this day, Google Chrome is by far and large the most popular browser. There is no question about yeah. it, right? And they oh, clearly, yeah. in my mind, have the monopoly in browsing at this point, right? Yeah. And given that they have the monopoly, they are definitely flexing that muscle, right? It's scary because even Microsoft, who, like, you know, ironically was, like, the bad, the big bad uh, wolf in the early days with like how they killed Netscape, they like ditched their like Internet Explorer browser to now use the, I think it's called Edge, Edge 2.0 or whatever the newest Microsoft Edge is. Uh, and it's backed by Chromium, which or, or it's backed by Blink or Chromium, I don't know. But it's backed by the same engine that Chrome uses and, you know, by and large controls for the most part. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They just, and they just released it. Uh, it's Microsoft wow. Edge. Uh, put a link and this was i think maybe it was like as early as two weeks back that i think they brought it out and they used the same thing it's so funny like you know everyone is like using chrome like as like their backed engine now which scares me it definitely scares me i don't want one company especially something as you know intimate as (laughs) your browsing to be controlled so heavily by a single company and you know a single browser so the Chromium is open source, though, right? Isn't it? It is open source. Yeah. Like the, in, I think Chromium. So they're like with Google Chrome. There's like multiple versions, right? Like they're backed by Blink, which is the actual engine, the browser engine. It is Blink, right? I'm not mixing. Yeah, Blink and V8. Yeah, Blink yeah. and V8. So that is the engine that backs all of these together. But Chromium is their open source version, and this is like Google trying to be like good about stuff. Where they're like, oh, we'll always have this open source version. So Google Chrome is Google, like you know. It's marketed as being from Google, so it's like themed with Google, and they're very clear about what happens in Google Chrome. But you know, as being like the Good Samaritan, they also have Chromium and maintain Chromium. So in case someone doesn't want to directly use Google Chrome and feed into that beast, you can use Chromium. But I don't know, man. Like I don't think that's entirely true. Well, if you use that by that token, you know, like. Apple also uses like whatever uh, WebKit or like the engine there, mm-hmm. and so they are also like being theoretically good Samaritans because WebKit is open source. So you could technically just use WebKit and build your own browser if you were like that worried, right? But honestly, are people going to do that? (laughs) You know, if a layman chooses to not send their data to like, you know, Google or Apple or one of these big companies, what option do they have? They don't have an option, right? They're not going to write their own browser so that they can, we have to be realistic. That's a big, that's a big moat as as, as it said, you know, it's a huge barrier to get across and the barrier to entry for a lot of these these apps is, is so high that you know if i think who else made it was it brandon yeah, I, the yeah, guy who created javascript brave. he made brave right that's right, that's right. But, and, I, and i haven't really used that one at all but anyway there's so many out there um it's just kind of crazy i didn't actually know that chromium was a uh, part of edge was using chromium until you mentioned it that's interesting yeah they so i mean a lot of this browsing market is like clearly a monopoly and also i remember like a lot of sites a lot of bank websites in the day they would just not refuse to work in any other browser they would only work on like google chrome you know 
which mm-hmm. clearly at that point like, you know if i need to log into my banking site what am i going to do you know i have to obviously use the browser uh so yeah. a lot of that stuff really scared me i use firefox really heavily that was one of my you know goals or resolutions last year like with the whole privacy thing i wanted to like get better at it and so mm-hmm. as like you know good fortune would have it firefox also like revamped and like they've been kicking butt and like doing a great job so i use firefox really heavily as my primary browser but it isn't just about using firefox firefox is also like positioning itself as the browser that cares about privacy but i wouldn't yeah. trust just firefox there's this they have like this extension called uh multi account container extensions have you heard about this thing no it's amazing it's this is what basically makes like you know really controls your privacy so the idea is like you know how i mean obviously this is for the listener because you know this even better than me but uh when you develop websites like cookies are like you know used to be a big thing that's how you you know drop snippets of data that helps you you know maybe keep you know, like helps you be logged in to a specific yeah. website right because that's how they keep that information in your browser and so the next time you visit that website they know oh yeah you know don visited this website so uh, i'll just like automatically fill the username or like non uh, yeah at least credentials that they can store a lot of websites mm-hmm. do this obviously with advertising what happened is uh, you know i won't say bad actors but a lot of like you know websites like facebook and stuff would drop cookies and use that to they would put identifiable information that you could then maybe use right and this is how they would mm-hmm. track you right and it got even like really bad where like if you know the whole login with facebook thing and like the single sign on stuff they would basically add information so facebook even if you logged into a different website that used uh the same authentication mechanisms they would know that you logged into those websites right uh, and that would basically mm. then give them the idea of like your browsing history without you directly yeah. giving it which is how it then tends to become more nefarious right uh, but yeah. what this container extension extension does is it forces you by it's a combination of the multi account con- it started out in firefox where they explicitly built it for facebook so anytime you click a facebook link from any other tab or any other window or it just notices anything that's driven by facebook in the url it forces you into this container uh, it Wow. basically all the history the search history is contained into this container and it's beautiful so like it'll almost like trap all of the content in facebook within this container so when i use facebook even if i mistakenly type facebook.com or like someone sends me a link that you know is a short url and i don't know what it expands to and i click the link and it opens up like a facebook page it doesn't like open it in the same uh browsing session history that i'm already in it'll launch it in this container so when facebook sees this they have no knowledge of how i entered in right so like we have sort of siloed it off and even if i click mm-hmm. the link inside facebook and it opens up a new uh window they can't like track me via that cookie like yeah they would know i clicked the link cuz i'm obviously inside facebook at that point but once i launch yeah. into this new tab it would force me out of that container again so it only forces like facebook links to work in this container it's like beautiful so literally just removing you from that yeah, system yeah basically like it just silos you into like you know a container that allows you to only search facebook now the beauty is you can use this container for anything so you can build your own containers right and when i say build your containers it isn't that complex 
they also have a container for Google or someone has built one for Google. So anytime you use any Google URL, it can like silo you into a container. <laughs> so then Google has like the same treatment, right? And you can create custom containers too. And this is what I do. I have like a personal container. I have a work container. Uh, so it almost like, think of it as like using multiple uh, profiles. So like, you know how in Chrome, sometimes you can sign into multiple profiles and keep like a work account. But the way it's done is in a very heavy-handed way because you have to like use a Google login there and then you know you can switch between user profiles. With these containers, I just create, I have like a banking container, a personal container, a work container, a shopping container, a social container, a Facebook container, a Google container, and I have these bunch of containers. Mm -hmm. And anytime I browse a website, it'll automatically put me into these. The beauty is, uh, so say I visit like an Amazon link, right? Because obviously I'm, you know, I can't, you know, live in my little cave here. Uh, if I have to buy something from Amazon, it automatically forces that into my shopping container. So I have like Amazon, eBay, and something else. So now Amazon has no knowledge of my browsing history. It only has knowledge of what is existent in this container. So probably, yeah, they might know that mm -hmm. I visited eBay or Craigslist or something, you know, to do my shopping because it's all inside that container. But they have no knowledge outside of this. My banking container, all my bank websites, it's all siloed into this container, you know. Uh, in social, I use, I think, Twitter and Reddit. You know, those two are, so anytime someone clicks, like sends me a Twitter link or something, it's all contained in that uh, specific container. Now, you might think this is like kind of crazy and, oh, this is really difficult to set up. It actually isn't that difficult. Like these account container extensions, once you open a website, like if you right-click the link, you can basically say, always open in this container. So you can... Obviously, I build this up over time. So like if I'm visiting a bank website, I would say, hey, right click and always click this container. Uh, always open in this container. So what this does is the next time I visit that website, even accidentally, or like I'm, you know, I'm uh, hrefed into that uh, website, or I'm like typing in my, like in my new tab, I just type the link. It'll automatically take me to that container. It also like prompts you. It's saying, hey, you usually open it in this container. Do you want to open it in this container or should we generate a new container mm -hmm. for you? And so the beauty is now when I type by default, uh, I also have this extension called temporary containers, which helps with this. When I by default search for something, it'll open it in a new container. So like if you so like notice anytime I Google a term, uh, I have... I have my 2,784th container <laughs> open. So it creates temporary containers. The beauty with this is even between my Google searches now, Google has no knowledge of like uh, who like has been searching. Because that's the other thing. Even if I put all my container for Google, uh, for my Google searching in a specific container, Google then knows my search history, right? And if I'm like the kind of person that uses only Google, again, they're still building up that information, right? And I don't even want that. So... Anytime I open a mm -hmm. Google link, what will happen is it'll think of me as being a new user using, uh, you know, the Google website in the container. So that, does that make sense? That, that does yeah. make sense. Yeah. I mean, you, um, I mean, you definitely, it's not personalizing it towards your, your taste anymore because I can't learn from exactly. you anymore. So this is like, it, it works beautifully well. And again, this whole thing is a cat and mouse thing, right? I don't know. Maybe at one point they might figure out how to do it. Uh, how to track but at least this really makes it hard so i've been using this system and if folks are interested like you know you can reach out i can try to explain how i use it but it's been working out amazingly well for me so far and all of 2019 i think i've been doing this and like yeah i just use this for my primary mechanism it's also really convenient now and this is like kind of one of the things that i 
because sometimes I see a lot of these like I've seen Brave, I've seen like even Opera at one point. I think like revamped. I used to be an Opera uh, user like back in the day. A lot of these new browsers that come up with good functionality, I'm tempted now and then. But just because of this multi-account container extension, it basically gives you inf- uh, like an infinite number of user profiles, right? And it does it in a very mm-hmm. seamless way. So it's just so hard for me now to like use anything else, given how tightly and like how well this whole extension and themes work. It's uh, it's amazing the amount of effort that you've went into <laughs> making sure that your searches are and everything are private. Right. Um, I think it's, you know, but it's something that people need to pay attention to given everything that's going on. And, you know, I think that's perfect segue into something else yeah. that's that's recently going on is that there's uh, the folks over at Basecamp, which we've had friends in the show mm-hmm. over there. Um, they're actually working on a new email client, which I thought was interesting to bring up. And that's over hey. at hey, yeah. com, mm-hmm. And so it's going to be an actually a paid for email service, but they're basically trying to... Um, Make it so it's a lot better than you're not tracked. It's more secure and it's you know usable. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been using it internally. David Hanmeyer Hansen said he's been using it for a while and he loves mm-hmm. it. Um, and they'll, it'll be on the web, iOS and Android. So if you're interested, go over to hey.com. This is not sponsored. It's just something that's kind of cool that the folks over at Basecamp are doing. So hey.com. Yeah, those the Basecamp folks are a good set of folks. We have a good a couple of good friends there. Um, yeah, I I sent the email. I haven't actually gotten an invite, so I'm hoping. Yeah, yeah, me too. It the idea is you basically send it to I want at hey dot com. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, if you send the email, they say that like once they're ready to open it up, they will. Yeah, so I'm 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 curious. So I I was this close to like maybe reaching because we have some friends there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, Dan Kim, who's like also pretty popular in the Android community, works there. I'm pretty sure he's using it. Uh, so maybe we should all just passively start to like annoy him on Twitter so he helps us. <laughs> ah, sorry, <laughs> Dan. Just kidding, just kidding. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much from my side. So folks are interested in like improving privacy. Uh, I also wrote this in my blog post. I've been tracking links for some of the privacy breaches that have happened. I just keep tracking a lot of this stuff. If folks are interested, I mm-hmm. can send it to you. I'm not writing a blog post because, again, I feel, I don't know about you, but these things tend to get very, like, religious and I'm not interested, honestly, in, like, engaging in that conversation and maybe that's not the right way to approach it. But I feel like people are, the minute I throw something like this up, people are like, oh, but what about X? Or, oh, what, what about Y? Or, like, you know, oh, like, you know, you're abandoning the system or you're, like, throwing them under the bus. I don't want to get into that debate. This, I'm doing it for myself. I'm, you know, the people I know and the people I... uh who like take advice from technical advice from me, I generally tend to like point them in this direction. Uh, and that's fine. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I think this is one of those things that we'll like as human beings, we'll just constantly like it's a cat and mouse race, right? We'll start to stray too much in the corners of like tracking privacy and being like very creepy about it. But then you know what? We'll start to like slowly fight against that system. We'll sway in the opposite direction. And then you know it's like a seesaw kind of approach. Exactly, yeah. Think that's what we got for today folks yeah thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode oh actually uh usually i'm supposed to do this as a follow-up uh but i'll probably do it as like a follow end you know the uh, two episodes back don uh i talked about 
what was it? I I mentioned Vue.js and Vue.ex uh, as like something that we were like, that came out from New York Times and I was interested in this. This was our two episodes back when we talked about like the whole Docker and Compose thing. Uh, actually, yes. I, I was conflating two sort of platforms and, you know, over on Twitter, someone was like kind enough to point it out to me. I actually was, I was looking at Vue.js and uh, Vue.ex but really, like the whole New York Times thing came. Uh, it's actually a different framework. It's called Svelte, S V E L T. Oh yeah. So I I just like totally went on like the rest of like the week thinking like yeah I got it right. But then Midun Harikumar uh, was kind enough to point that out on Twitter uh, that actually I was maybe thinking about Svelte, which is the thing that originated in New York Times, uh, and we'll add a link to that as well. And Vue.js was actually okay. what I was looking at the time, and I conflated those two histories. Oh, okay. Good to be clear about it. That's it for me. We will catch you all again in the next episode. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.